I want to thank you for your patience. A lot of things happened this morning when we got here. We have no internet. We're running on a hot spot up there to have our service. And then Michael got called out for an emergency. We weren't sure if he was coming back. But here we are. We adapted, and we came through. And we got to meet our newest member of our family, Sailor Rain, which was awesome. And now we're going to hear the Word of God. How is everybody doing this morning? Are we good? Yeah? It's good to see you. I want to start, and you probably know the story of Moses, but if you don't, I'm going to give you a refresher. We're talking about everything in God's time, His timing, which can be difficult for us. But let me start with the story of Moses. See, in the Old Testament, Joseph had brought his father, Jacob, and all his brothers to Egypt during the time of that great famine where they lived. And God blessed this family. This, this, they started to prosper. They were growing in number. And we all know as time goes by, people pass, right? Jacob. And then Joseph. And then, of course, Pharaoh. They all passed on. And then a new king took place. But this new king, this new Pharaoh, did not know Joseph. He did not remember Joseph. So, all this time, God is continuing to bless these children of Israel, and they are growing vastly. This is a large number. Well, this new Pharaoh is looking at this going, this is not good. Uh, they are outnumbering us, and if they chose to, they could probably overpower us. So they were subjugated, made slaves, if you will, to these massive building projects. They were enslaved, and once again, they were still blessed, and they were growing in number. So Pharaoh said, you know what we got to do? Every child born to a Hebrew woman needs to be thrown into the Nile. They need to be killed. Let the daughters live, but any male child needs to die. And this is how they were going to control this population, if you will. Well, during this time, Moses was born to Jochebed and Amram. These were his parents from the tribe of Levi. And that's important to remember when we look at genealogies. And he was born, and she hid him for three months. She did a very good job hiding Moses, but it became, came to a point where she couldn't hide him anymore. So she made this wonderful basket and put him in it, sealed the top, and placed him in the reeds of the river where Pharaoh's daughter would come to bathe. And what happened was her servants found this basket, brought it to her, they opened it up, and there was this crying baby. Um, now, his name wasn't Moses yet. They would give, she would give that name to him later because she pulled him out of the water. That's what it means. But she pulled this baby out, and her sister was in hiding and came out and said, would you like me to go get a Hebrew woman that could nurse this child for you? And she's like, yes, all part of the plan. And Moses' mother was the one that brought him up before taking him to the palace. She got to, to wean him, if you will, right? And so... Moses is getting to be with his mom, but at a certain age, she has to take him to the palace. She has to take him to Pharaoh's daughter, which she does, and Pharaoh's daughter adopts Moses. And he is raised in the education of the Egyptians. He gets all this formal training. He learns languages. He learns the way of the government, their culture. He's brought up in this. And he's living in this life for, what, 40 years. That's a long time to grow in that kind of culture and under that kind of teaching and influence. But Moses had this connection with his people. It was being, he was being drawn to his people. In fact, he had went out one day, 
and he saw one of his brother Israelites being mistreated, and he actually killed the Egyptian that was causing the mistreatment, causing the harm. He killed him, buried him in the sand. There was another event the next day where he had gone out and saw a couple of his brothers arguing, and he tried to reconcile, have them reconcile to each other. And one of them turned to him and said, who are you? Who do you think you are? You think you're our prince? You think you're our judge? And then he said this, are you going to kill me too? And at this, Moses knew that what he had done had been found out. In fact, Pharaoh found out and was trying to kill Moses. So Moses fled to a place called Midian, and he ended up at this well where these shepherdesses, who would soon be his father-in-law, Jethro, his daughters were there trying to get water for their flocks. But there were these shepherds that were causing trouble. Moses rescued these shepherdesses, if you will, these daughters of Jethro, and allowed theirs to drink and ran the others off. The girls went home, and Jethro's like, what are you doing home so early? I mean, usually you have to wait in a long line, right? The other guys, they get to go first. What are you doing home so early? We're, there was a gentleman there, basically, that saved us and allowed us to water our flocks. So well, who is this? Go get him. So they went and got Moses and brought him back. And of course, the story is Moses lived with them. Zipporah was given to him, one of uh, Jethro's daughters, and they married. They also had children. They had two sons. And during this time, Moses tended the flocks for Jethro. He was a shepherd, which I think is awesome if you look at the context of Scripture, what shepherd actually is, what it means. And this is where our story takes place. He's out in the wilderness with these flocks, Jethro's flocks, shepherding these animals, and he looks over and he sees this bush on fire. Now, understand, it's not being consumed, it's just on fire. And I love the way the Bible puts it. Moses sees it and says, well, i got to check this out. This is interesting. And he comes over, and then this voice speaks. Moses, stop. Take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And then here's where our story takes place, because the voice of God comes through this burning bush and gives Moses this information. Everybody turn to Exodus chapter 3, if you're not already there. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to pick up at verse 10 through 15. Now, he's already describing to Moses that he's heard the cries of his people. He understands what they're going through and their need. So let's look at verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. And when you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now, I love verse 10. Everybody look at verse 10. 
God's timing is revealed along with his plan and his purpose. I mean, this is to the point. These are crystal clear instructions for Moses. He doesn't have to guess, speculate. Hmm, I wonder what God meant. They are clear-cut instructions. So what Moses is receiving is instructions straight from God, right? They're forward, they're to the point, and his plans, though, for us, they're not always a straight shot to a particular goal, are they? We don't get clear-cut instructions sometimes. So what we're seeing here with Moses is special, but we have to look at the context of this and realize, how is this going to apply to me? Because a lot of times, the straight shot to the particular goal is not God's purpose for you, and we're going to dive deeper into that. Sometimes, his planning and his timing can be a journey, a journey, and there is purpose, brothers and sisters, in this journey. So you've probably figured out, listening to God talk to Moses, that one word from God, truly, could have accomplished everything that he was calling Moses to do. Why? It was his cause. They're his people. The whole situation belonged to God. It is amazing to me that God did not personally execute what he had planned out, because you've got to look at the magnitude of this task. It is huge. This is a huge undertaking. But no, instead, he uses a shepherd. He uses a shepherd to work out what he is working in. God's plans and purposes are about the relationship, not the duty. They're about the relationship. So God calls to himself one man. And in this man, he places in the heart his gracious purpose for Moses. And he commissions Moses to execute this purpose for his fellow Israelites. God is working in one man, right, and from one man for the many. Here we can see the providence of God in Moses' life. We talked about providence and power and promises last week. As we describe and illustrate more of the life of Moses, you're going to see providence. Because I told you the story, and in a sense, Moses tried to be a deliverer early on, right? Early on. But let's compare that part of the story to what he's being called to now. In fact, Stephen gives a speech before he is stoned to death. Stephen gives a speech, and in this speech is the history of Israel. Um, I want uh, Acts 7, 23 through 29. Acts, watch this, guys. Read this with me. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, are you brothers? Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust aside, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And at this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, I kind of told the same story that Stephen just 
uh, brought us before he was killed. And the point is this. Moses, you had great intentions. It's not that you were wrong. You had really good intentions. It was just the right intention at the wrong time. See, these stories and these events that are in Scripture, guys, these are for us to learn from. It's not just information. We are to take these and learn from this. We get to examine and dissect this great man's life and see how God worked in it so that we can relate the very same principle to our lives. So, one, we need to be aware of doing God's will, but doing God's will in his time. There's number one. I think we live in a culture, I like to describe our culture as kind of like a microwave oven. We want everything instantly, and we want it now. And I know technology is a benefit, but it's also harming us in a a sense. As technology advances, information is boom, communication is boom. Not our internet this morning, but it is normally right on the target, okay? So we are slowly beginning to lose the virtue of patience. We really are. And Galatians 5.22 says patience is the fruit of the Spirit. Christians are to adhere to this fruit. Christians are to practice this fruit, and that is patience. So when we look at this Scripture in its fullness, we have to see His ways. And this includes his thoughts, his plans, his purposes, and yes, his timing, because all of it equates to perfection. It equates to, in fact, I love this next verse. This is my go-to verse right now, Psalm 1830. Psalm 1830 says, this God His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Now, that's powerful. This God, his way is perfect. So when we look at what's happening in Moses' life, we have to understand the perfection that is behind what's going on with freeing the children of Israel from Pharaoh in Egypt. Look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I that I should go? What happened to Moses that he would ask God this question? Did Moses not grasp the fact that God was shaping him and molding him for this task? Could Moses not see that God all along was preparing him and equipping him For this great endeavor, God knew exactly who he was choosing. God knew exactly who he was going to work through, and he knew that this, my friends, was the right time for it. Remember, this God, his ways are what? Perfect. So, this is the next point. This is the next point. We are not to be idle while we wait for God. Or while we wait on God, we are not to be idle. See, Moses was receiving a new direction in his life. I like to think of it personally as a redirection. Because Moses' life was on this course, and now God was redirecting him this way. Redirection. In each of our lives, God calls us and redirects us in his plans and for his purposes. 
No matter what season you find your life or find yourself in your life, I don't care your age, wherever you are in that season, God can redirect you. It's a call to be a difference in either deed or word through his plans and through his purposes. Moses was a shepherd. Moses was shepherding the flocks of his father-in-law, but that life was over. That life was over. He was redirected, and now he'd be shepherding God's people. He'd be shepherding God's people. And I find that to be powerful. Powerful to see how God is working through Moses in his life. You know, I got to say something real quick when we're talking about sitting idly by waiting on God. A lot of people let the world define who you are. You allow others or worldly uh, things and people to define you. And I want to tell you, you were not defined by this world. You were defined by God and God alone. You are of great, great value. Each and every person in here, you need to know your value. You need to know your worth because you were designed by the God of all creation. The very God that knows exact measurement from where the moon is, right where he placed it, it needs to be this in order to get this much light, in order to affect the tides, to affect the seasons, right? The moon's there. Look at the stars. He placed every single one of them, or the order of the planets. This very same God, the designer and artist of all creation, is the one who knit you in your mother's womb. You were for him. So if you don't think you have value, you need to get back into the word. You have great value. Therefore, you have to understand that you have a purpose in God, no matter where you find yourself in life right now. You matter, and you have great value because God has a plan and a purpose. The problem with Christians, all of us included, is we want to experience all what I like to call these mountaintop experiences the climatic part of our Christian walk, whether it be something regarding you know, education or it has something to do with uh, finding Mrs. Wright or Mr. Wright, right? Or our careers or, or overcoming a sin or overcoming loss. These climatic experiences where we reach the mountaintops, the climatic of our Christian experience. We love those experiences and we want them all the time. The problem is we also have to spend time in the valley, in the valley, if you're going to walk to the mountain, if you want to reach that top, you've got to walk through the valley. And the valley is extremely important in our lives. See, this comes all down to trusting God. If you want to boil all this down, we're about to go. It's about trusting God. We are actually blessed by the time that he gives us in the valley. All those times in the valley, even though we're looking at the mountaintops, we are blessed by that time because this is where we learn to and grow in trusting God. This is where we learn it. You know this verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I'm sure everybody knows it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Okay. We're not trusting in the Lord with a section of our heart or part of our heart. The Bible tells us all of our heart. Some of us like to blend our own understanding with God's, but we can't do that. It says don't lean on what you think you know because you don't. (laughs) You trust me. And what I love about acknowledging, acknowledging God in all our ways, folks, this is the valley. 
<clears throat> this is where we put in the work. Follow me. God spent another 40 years on Moses, preparing him and equipping him for the great, great work that would be his whole life for the next 40 years. I mean, you could really divide Moses' life into 40s. The first 40s in Egypt, the second 40s shepherding. The next 40 will be shepherding God's people in the wilderness because he lived to be 120. Perfect math, right? Finally. So, we're acknowledging God in all our ways. All those ways are the work that we are putting in while we are in the valley, letting God prepare us and equip us for the mountaintop experiences. So, what is this work? 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, and we also thank God constantly for this. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The word of God, which is at work in you believers, and this happens in the valley. Let me tell you a quick story. There was this young man there was this young man who came to his pastor and said, I have some tough questions. I'm not receiving any answers from God right now, so I need to talk to you and see, Pastor, I need help. So he came to his pastor and he was talking to him. And he says, I have been praying, and I have been praying, and I've been praying that to, to just to know God's will. Pastor, I have some serious decisions to make. I'm in a time crunch here, and I really want to know God's will because what I'm scared of is, is I'm going to pick something that's my will and put it before his, and I know God, and I don't want to do that. Pastor understood, okay. So I'm praying for that, but I don't know what his will is. And pastor, I'm also praying, I know, I've heard you say it, God has a plan for me. I know he has a purpose for my life. I love him and I want to live for him, but what is his plan and purpose? I keep asking God over and over and over in prayer, but I'm not getting an answer. Pastor, I've got to make a decision soon. I know God's timing is everything, and I'm worried that I'm going to pick something in my time, and it's going to be against God. So how do I know if it's God's will? How do I know if it's God's plan? And how do I know if it's God's timing? And the pastor looks at him and says, you've been praying a lot about this. He goes, yeah. He says, and I said, and you haven't received any answers or any kind of guidance? No. And he held up his Bible. He says, have you been reading this? He goes, well, I mean, on Sundays when you're preaching, but no, I've been focused on praying and really, the pastor said, son, you've been having a one-sided conversation with God. You've been doing all the talking. You haven't let him say a word. And he looked at him funny, and he saw the pastor holding the Bible up, and he started to get it. He, he, goes, he goes, that's my burning bush. Yes, the Bible, in a sense, it's our burning bush. It's how God communicates to us. He was doing all the talking and all the praying, and he's not wrong in that, but he wasn't allowed God to speak to him at all. And ladies and gentlemen, God talks to us, yes, through the Holy Spirit. He guides us. But he talks to us through Jesus Christ in this word. This is everything, our authority. God will convict. God will teach. God will bring you to understand his will. He'll bring you to understand his plans and his timing if you spend time with him because it's a relationship. Can you have a relationship with somebody if it's one-sided? No, you cannot. But we do that to God all the time. So the young man left with encouragement and hope because he says, oh my goodness, yes, I am going to start letting God talk a little bit. And I hope that he found his way. 
So the Bible, in a sense, is our burning bush. It's true. It's how God communicates. I thought of a funny thing, um, because I want to talk about the work in the valley, because all of us sometimes want to avoid that work in the valley. I would have loved, back in Jacksonville, Florida, I would have loved to come home, open my Bible on the bottom, maybe the bottom margin somewhere, like you know how God wrote on the wall, maybe you wrote in my Bible, hey, Mark, you are to take your wife and kids, and you're going to move to Reedsville, North Carolina. There, you're going to pastor a church called Grace Fellowship. It's at South Park. And then, hey, I want you to care, guide, and love for this flock all your days until I call you home. And I would have been like, yes, I got God's timing. I got his plan. I just got his purpose. I don't got to think about anything else. Look how clear cut those instructions are. But now I'm going to tell you the reality. That is not what happened. No. The time spent and the process that had to take place was a journey for me. I didn't sit idly by waiting for that phone to ring, right? And the leadership here that was trying to bring me here, they weren't sitting by the phone either waiting for me. We had work to do. We didn't just wait for this. There was a process. It was a journey. There was prayer. There was scripture. But you know what else there was? There had to be a life of learning obedience and trust in God. We had no clue what was going to happen here. None. And when we got here, was it secure? Was it real? Was it actually happening? We didn't know. Fully trusting God for this huge task of moving. And the leadership had theirs too. Who are we bringing here? He could be crazy, right? Who are we bringing here? And you, I am a little. So, you know, that's your fault. I'm here now. But what's cool about this is we can see on both sides that both parties had to be obedient and trust God. It was a journey. And I couldn't help. I kept thinking about obedience and trust. And you know what hymn I went to, right? Trust and obey. I started humming that as I was writing this sermon. And I love the first verse. I love the first verse of trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, right? What a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. I kept saying that over and over, singing that part, because that's the kind of work it takes in the valley if we want to have these beautiful mountaintop experiences, but it has to be under God's timing, because why? He is in complete control of everything. We've established that. He is in complete control. So, with this verse in these valley times, as we wait on our God and His perfect timing, we don't just sit idly by, we practice obedience. We grow in our reliance on God, and guess what? We grow in our intimate relationship with Him. I had preached a sermon on prayer, Jacksonville, and this lady comes up to me in, with a face of disgust. She wore it well. She comes up to me and she goes, well, I guess we were raised differently. And I'm like, well, you lost me. What are you talking about? She goes, your sermon. How dare you question God? My parents raised me never to question God. And I said, ma'am, you missed the whole sermon. You missed it all. You got locked in on that and you missed it all. I said, you don't question God as if you're interrogating him. I said, you telling me you don't ask questions to God? You don't say, God, how can I do this? Or who can I help? Or God, can you help me through this? You don't ask those questions. And I said, do you know Moses asked God questions? I said, what kind of relationship do you have if you're not asking your best friend, 
these questions. And I was shocked by it. And I thought to myself, does she actually have a relationship? Because a relationship, guess what? I get to ask my God questions, not an interrogation, but I can say, God, I am hurt so bad. Can you please help me? Can you please show me? I ask God questions all the time. Moses did. Who am I, God? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Obedience, reliance, trust, it all brings us to an intimate relationship. Look at verse 12. This is strong. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain when you've brought them out. This is powerful. God says, I'm not only going to be with you, not only will I be with you, he's guaranteed his victory. Moses cannot fail. He says, at this very mountain, he's out Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. Most scholars all agree that this is the same mountain. He says, at this very mountain where you're at, you're going to bring them here. Moses, you're going to be victorious. You can't fail. Why? Because it's my plan, my purpose, my timing. This God, his ways are perfect. So Moses saw that the message was greater than he, the messenger. Moses saw that. The greatness of this ministry at hand must have had him really feel his inability to complete it. Shake it in the knees, inability. But God tells Moses, I will be with you. So the point here is this. As we discern a clear call from God, we step forward in faith, knowing that God is with us. Folks, we are not alone. He comes too. And this call includes his divine timing. You know, God only loves you and he only wants good for you. Lamentations 3.25. Lamentations 3.25 says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And this is from the great I am. These are his words. Praise God. Yes, listen to this. Moses was going to, listen, this is another piece of providence. Moses Moses knew the inner workings of Pharaoh in this government, in Egypt. He knew it. He lived there for 40 years. So he knew he was a government representative in a sense. And he said, well, what name? And Moses knew God. He knew his name. But he said, what name shall I tell them? So they see the authority behind this. And look at at this. Look at um, 13. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What do I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, you tell him, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Jacob, right? He's bringing all these key patriarch figures that they would know and recognize that he was the God of. In other words, he's Yahweh. I am who I am. That's who's given this message through the burning bush. That is who's going to be behind Moses in this huge endeavor, this huge undertaking to free the people from Egypt, to free them from slavery. So when we ask God questions about his timing, when we ask questions about God's timing, it's often because we are looking for guidance or deliverance from a difficult situation. Am I right? We are in trouble. We're hurting. I'm scared. And this is when we turn to God and we ask questions about his timing. But we can be rest assured. We can be rest assured that our heavenly Father, who's in complete control, 
knows where we are in every situation in our lives, in every moment. If you're at home and you're scared, if you're in a back alley and you're scared, if you're at the doctor's office and you're scared, God knows where you are in every moment. This is assurance. He either put us there, folks. He either put us there or allowed us to be there all for his own perfect purpose. Now, God uses trials to strengthen us. This is true. And he strengthens our patience. He allows our Christian faith to mature and become complete. We know this because this is the work that's done in the valley. This is where it happens, where the trust grows, where the hope grows. God's timing always comes back to relationship. He wants us to turn to him in full reliance. He wants us to turn him in fully trusting because his perfect way is what he wants to apply to our lives if we allow him. It always comes back to relationship. And you know he has plans for you. You know he loves you and he wants you to prosper. Jeremiah 29.11, we all know this one. What's it say? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. I thank God for this scripture. Amen. Yes, glory, because you know what? You are of great value. He didn't create you just to create you. Say Lorraine, we have no idea what's in store for Say Lorraine. She's brand new. 2.0, right? We just got her. God has a plan and purpose for this tiny little child you just saw on this stage. God is so good. Mm. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Moses is a huge part of the story. Moses is a huge part of the Old Testament and referred to in the New Testament. In fact, Moses was there in the transfiguration with Jesus. Moses is a huge part of the story, but so are you. You are a part of God's story too. I need you to know that because God is your true deliverer. Now, he used Moses to deliver the people, um, the children of Israel. He used Moses to deliver and execute his plan, getting them out of slavery and out of Egypt. But Moses was not the true deliverer. God, Yahweh, I am who I am, was the true deliverer behind this whole thing. And he is our true deliverer too. Now, Psalm 34, 19. I don't know if you've ever said this verse when you're hurting. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He is our deliverer. But in his time, And there's the rub. God, I need it now. I want it now. No, you need to grow more. No, there's a purpose for you being here. See, we want our time to be fulfilled in God's will. But just like we want God's will on our life, we have to allow his timing. So here it is. As we seek God's will, his perfect will, mind you, we have to accept and embrace the fact that this includes his divine timing, the journey, the process, We allow God to prepare us and equip us for whatever new direction or redirection that he has planned and purposed for us. 
And when we receive this call, when we are to discern this call from God, we step forward in faith being fully assured that He is with us. Why can we be assured of that? Because we know that His calling is for His purpose. See, this God, His way is perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we attempt to think like you. (laughs) Lord, we attempt to think we know what's best for us, that we're empowered, but Lord, we do not know your ways because they are perfect and we are not. Father, your purpose in our life, we want to know it. Your plans for us, Father, throughout our whole existence and time here, we want to know it. But Lord, we also want to understand and know your timing in everything. Lord, we see this in Scripture. We can see this in the power of the story of Moses. We not only do we see the providence, not only do we see the power, but Father, we see your timing in everything, and this is what we want to embrace. This is what we want to bring into our lives, Father. We want to bring the virtue of patience back. We want to be able to wait on our God because our way is not perfect. Your way is perfect. So Father, right now, I pray for everybody here, Lord, that we begin to acknowledge you in all our ways, that we lean on you, Father, completely trusting in you, fully relying on you. Bring us to that point, Father. Bring us to that point. Lord, we never want to question you in a way that's inappropriate or irreverent or disrespectful. Our questions, Lord, are to truly understand what you have for us because we know that you have a plan for us. We know that you have a purpose for us. Lord, we are putty in your hands. You are the potter. We are the clay. Lord, we want to be shaped and molded. And we know that shaping and that molding happens when we are working in the Lord, when we are stuck in the valley, working, Lord. Even though we can see the mountain, we want to reach that. We want those experiences. Lord, we know we have to be obedient and trust you in those times. And that's what we're asking for, God. That's what we're asking for today. Lord, we just, we just ask you to bless this church, bless the remainder of this service, Lord. Keep us safe and bring us together again. I love you, Lord. I thank you for every member of this congregation that's came out today, Lord. I pray that they're blessed and you just keep watching out for them, Lord. Just continue to watch out for them. But Father, help us, remind us, patience. Wait on our God because his way, your way, God, is perfect and so is your timing. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.